I want to take a moment to recognize one of our sponsors, Producers Wealth. If you're interested to set up your infinite banking policy correctly and have access to a coach that will help you use your infinite banking strategy to grow your business and your investment portfolio and having your capital work in more than one place simultaneously and protect your capital from market downturns, taxes, predators, and creditors, you can watch a presentation of exactly how you can do this at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. The world is going through changes. Changes happening at a speed that we have never seen before. This is leading to disruption, chaos, panic, fear, hysteria, and a turbulent economy and marketplace. How do you protect your wealth in a turbulent world? How do you invest for cash flow in alternative assets to escape the rat race in times of uncertainty? How do you decentralize yourself, your family, your community, your business, and your investments to become sovereign and escape the matrix? If you are looking for strategies, tactics, and techniques to escape the rat race and matrix, you are in the right place. My name is MC Lobsher, and this is Cashflow Ninja. This is Cashflow Ninja. I'm MC Lobsher. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Cashflow Ninja and spending your most valuable resource, your time, once again with me. Everything Cashflow Ninja is at CashflowNinja.com, CashflowNinja.com. And I launched my mastermind and inner circle, Cashflow Nirvana, this year. It's just been incredible to uh, see what we're building there. Cashflow Nirvana is for business owners and investors with shared values that are looking to protect and build wealth during turbulent times. This is one of the greatest opportunities of our lifetimes. Uh, if you are a business owner and investor, not only to protect what you have, but to expand, to build, and to multiply. If you're one of those business owners and investors looking to do that, you can join my mastermind and inner circle, Cashflow Nirvana, by signing up at CashflowNirvana.com. That's CashflowNirvana.com. I've got a fantastic show for you today. I'm joined by Eric Freeman. Eric Freeman is a tax strategist and wealth strategist and also a real estate investor. Eric, great to see you. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Fantastic. Uh, now, for folks that are not familiar with you and what you do, can you please share a little bit about your background and journey with them? Yeah, definitely. So um, so I live in Arizona, uh, grew up here, went to the University of Arizona and started my career in public accounting. Uh, and one of the reasons I started in public accounting was because I realized every single business no matter what you are, no matter what, where you are in the world, you need to understand the numbers behind it. And so that was important to me as far as um, the next steps, because I was always interested in, in being a business owner and, and, and then later on investing in real estate. And so that was kind of how I started my career. And so now fast forward, um, over 10 plus 10 plus years i'm a partner at a cpa firm uh beach fleischman and we are a top 200 firm in the u.s and i lead our real estate practice and that's been a really great fit because as i mentioned i started investing in real estate 
soon after I got out of college. And so that was kind of my, that was my passion was real estate, talking with investors and doing that. So I, in 2012, I think was when I bought my first uh, investment property, which I, you know, like most people started off with a single family home and then kind of moved my way up and started, you know, some small multifamily properties and then uh, some commercial and uh, now land. And so it's just kind of expanded. And so I focus on in on my day, daytime, I'm working with investors, developers, um, a lot of multifamily syndicators or even commercial syndicators that kind of cross every every asset class. Uh, pretty much whether it's retail or office or industrial, um, any of those. And then um, kind of, I, th I think what makes me different is I, I actually understand the business a little. I'm not just looking at it from a pure tax standpoint, but rather understanding some of the nuances of the business, which is really critical in some areas because you'll, you'll find as a CPA that sometimes the IRS expects you to understand um, even like construction a little bit to figure out, can I, can I deduct this uh, remodel or do I have to take depreciation on it? You know, little things like that, that um, most CPAs aren't really thinking about just because they don't have that experience essentially. Um, so, so that's where I am today. Uh, just mostly working with business owners and, and real estate developers. Yeah, I had the pleasure of meeting you at at, at an event, uh, actually in Arizona, which was a lot a lot of fun. And um, yeah, that's one of the things that I I love about um, what what you do as well. Eating your own cooking, you know, you serve real estate investors, but you're a real estate investor yourself, right? So you right. get to get to see the ins and the outs of it. For folks listening to this and investors listening to this, if you want to um, create sort of a a tax strategy, is there uh, things that you can share a framework and so forth just or just ideas for people to think about when coming up with a tax strategy yeah so the first thing i would say is if you're there's a difference between if you're an employee so you're getting a w2 and you're either a business owner or or say in the real estate um, industry whether it's passive or maybe you're an active owner um, your strategy in each of those categories is very different. And um, I'll say on the employee side, there's very little you can do realistically that makes that makes a big difference. You're really kind of stuck on layering a lot of small things together. So you're, you're looking at maxing out retirement plans, whether it's your 401k at work, or maybe it's a IRA or a Roth IRA outside of work. You're doing um, HSA contributions, things like that, maybe 529 plans for your kids. Um, but at the end of the day, when you're done doing all of that, you're still paying tax and it's still a, a big chunk. And so, um, and so your, your ability to save is a little limited in that. So when you move into the business or investor category, it opens up an entirely new playing field, really. So, um, the first thing, though, that when you're thinking about a business or starting a business or a real estate business is you want to know what what your entity choice is. And so you need to have at least a basic understanding or have it, have a CPA or qualified professional guide you with that decision. Don't just go setting it up and don't only talk to the attorney. 
because not all attorneys um, work in the tax field. And so their recommendation may not be the one that's that's right for you. Um, I will say just as a kind of a starting point that most of the time, generally, you're going to be an LLC, whether it's um, wholly owned by you or maybe you have other members of that LLC. And the reason for that is basically that you just get a lot of flexibility in, in the tax world. Um, so wholly owned, if you wholly own it, basically doesn't exist from a tax perspective. It does from a legal perspective, but not from a tax perspective. And so it's fairly simple reporting. It's on your, your individual income tax return. Um, whereas if you have partners, now you have a choice. So in an LLC, a lot of people get a little confused between um, a state created entity, which an LLC is, um, that's a designation by the state that you organize it in versus how it's treated for federal tax purposes. So an LLC is a limited liability company and the IRS says if you have multiple members, default treatment is it's treated as a partnership. So it's treated the same way as if you set up a partnership in the in the state. So a limited partnership, limited liability partnership, general partnership, same type of taxation for the most part. Um, or you can elect to be a S corporation or a C corporation if you would like. Um, but I'll say most of the time you don't want to do S or C, especially if you're in the real estate industry. There are there there's some occasions where you will, but 99.9% of the time you want to keep partnership or disregarded entity. Um, so I would be careful if if someone's telling you to set up an S corp. I'd really question that because I've seen I've seen especially real estate investors get really caught up and they bought real estate they had it in an S corporation and then they get they get screwed later down the road at some point um, and and then you're stuck trying to figure out how to unwind it and that can that can be a huge tax bill um, so you don't want to mess it up at the beginning you want to get you want to get it figured out at the start that's kind of your your basic um planning opportunity from a tax perspective right there i want to take a moment to share the most exciting project i've ever worked on and a project that will be my primary focus in the weeks months and years ahead i've launched the cashflow nirvana mastermind the cashflow nirvana mastermind is the inner circle of the cashflow ninja ecosystem in our exclusive mastermind, business owners and investors have access to all the strategies, tactics, tools, and community to build and protect wealth in turbulent times and crisis. Join a community of resilient business owners and investors that are building a parallel economy and the future during times of chaos. As a member of the Cashflow Nirvana Mastermind, you will receive a monthly newsletter and video newsletter with Intel business owners and investors need to know, bonus reports, bi-weekly Zoom calls, and a bonus monthly happy hour Zoom call to network within the community, access to a community social platform to interact with community members. The Cashflow Ninja Rolodex that includes all of our preferred vendors and partners. A parallel economy and members Rolodex. The goal there is for members to do business with each other. Deal flow of our community. 
Get access to the best deals available from our preferred operators and members as they become available. Educational content that includes how to create a strategy right now and how to create a business right now. You can join the Cashflow Nirvana Mastermind. Go to CashflowNinja.com forward slash Nirvana. That's CashflowNinja.com forward slash Nirvana. And then from there, you're kind of looking at how do I, am I, if I, if you're, if you have a day job still while you're starting this business or you're investing, or maybe you're married and, and your spouse has a W2 job and you're starting this endeavor as a business owner, then you want to figure out, am I, am I actually going to be able to deduct if I have losses, tax losses, am I going to be able to deduct those losses against my W2 earnings or other income? Maybe you have other passive income from investments, whether it's interest or dividends or, or something else. And so there you want to do planning around not uh, around avoiding the passive activity rules. So for um, real estate, that one is, is a big category because generally speaking, the IRS says real estate by default is a passive activity, meaning you cannot deduct it against other income unless it's also passive. So in other words, if you had um, one rental property that had a loss and another rental property that had income, and then you had a W-2 job, but you can only deduct the lost property against the positive income property, but not against your W-2 if it exceeded that. And so you want to avoid or get around those rules if you can. And so you're working on being either active or in the real estate world, a, a real estate professional. Um, so real estate professional is the hardest category to, to meet because it's hours based, essentially. In order to be a real estate professional, you have to spend at least 750 hours uh, in a real property trader business, and you have to spend more than half your time in a real property trader business. That makes it really difficult for anyone with a full-time job to qualify. Um, but this is this is a good opportunity, though, for people that are married because only one spouse has to qualify for that. The other one doesn't. So you could have one spouse with a full-time job that's not working in real estate and another one that is full-time in real estate and potentially qualify. Um, if it's not real estate, it's a little bit easier to, to be active. Essentially, you have to, the IRS lays out seven criteria that you, you have to meet at least one of them to be considered active. And um, the most common ones are spending at least 500 hours a year, or an easier one is if you spend, I believe it's if you spend at least 100 hours and you do more than anyone else in the business. That's a pretty easy threshold for a business starting out, even if you're, um, even if you have a full-time job or a part-time job and you're starting, you know, a side gig, which is pretty common these days, and it's not real estate. So this isn't real estate. This is any other business basically, because they don't have the same high threshold as real estate, but you, you could easily spend a hundred hours in a year and you're probably doing more than anyone else because you're, you're having to get it off the ground and get it started. So it's a little easier to qualify when you're not a real estate business. And then, and you're probably in your first year or two, you may have losses um, because you're starting out. So you want to make sure you're actually able to deduct that and, and at least take advantage of, of those losses. Um, so, so I think that's kind of the beginning, th those two things, entity choice and seeing whether 
your passive or active in an activity are probably the the first two uh, considerations from a tax perspective that you'd look at. What are some of the things happening in real estate that real estate investors should uh, be aware of? I believe there's some updates uh, with regards to depreciation, right? What what's going on there? Right. So so for the for a long time now, we've had what we call bonus depreciation. And bonus depreciation is where the IRS said, if you invest in assets that have uh, what the IRS deems as 20 year or less useful life, then you can just expense 100% of it. And so the IRS gives different asset classes different lives. So most of the time, the things that are qualifying for bonus is anything that we would consider personal property. So personal property is you know it's it's tangible property and you can touch it right not an intangible and it uh is movable so it's not it's not part of the real estate so i mean this this is like cars it's you know desks equipment um it and when we're talking in the real estate context it's also certain things that are part of the they're included in the real estate when you buy it but they may not actually be part of the structure so like appliances, um, sometimes cabinetry or shelving that is, it may be, it may be screwed into the wall, but you can move it and the wall still works. So it's not part of the real estate, um, carpeting, all these kind of things we could just write off. Um, and it also included if you're in the real estate world, uh, your land improvements. So those are all your sidewalks, asphalt paving, fencing, um, sometimes landscaping or, or, uh, like swimming pools things like that, that are exterior to a building, then you could write off all of those. Um, so going into 2023, that's starting to phase down a little bit. So now it's it was 100% in 2022. Now it is um, 80% for 2023. And then it phases down 20% each year until it gets to zero, unless they change it, um, which over the last 20 years, um, it's actually been bonus has been set to expire to some degree uh, over and over, and it continues to be um, to be expanded and changed. So it's it's changed from anywhere from thirty to one hundred percent bonus in the last twenty years, and and it's and it's been, it's expi almost expired, and they keep renewing it. So this is the law as it is now, um, but this it may it may change by the time it's going to expire, maybe. Maybe it gets uh, extended again. We don't know. We'll we'll have to guess. But that's too far in the future to to really plan for that. Um, so, so that's the big change. I don't think it'll have a huge effect this year because eighty percent is still pretty significant. But I think if they don't extend it, it's gonna it's gonna change people's tax liabilities quite a bit, especially for business owners that are you know that are equipment heavy or definitely the real estate industry that will make a huge difference if it doesn't get extended. What's going on with regards to uh, energy credits, you know, in, in real estate? Yeah. So what we're seeing as a push just overall from the government, I mean, you can you can see it with, um, you know, with the car, the automobile industry and and moving towards electric from gasoline. And you can see it from all kinds of other uh, industries with these energy initiatives. And the government's, you know, a big push on this, as we all know. And so and now we're starting to see some of it accelerate a little bit. So last year, 
um, at, towards the end of the year, I think it was in August, they passed the Inflation Reduction Act. And as part of the Inflation Reduction Act, you know, they were spending money, which seems counterintuitive, but that is, that's what they called it. So um, they, part of it was these energy initiatives. And there's there's energy initiatives for both businesses um, and for individual taxpayers. So for like your primary residents. And then there's, of course, the auto um, credits and, and EV charger credits, things like that. So they're basically anything that is more energy efficient, the IRS is probably giving some kind of a credit for it. Not everything, but a lot of it. So they changed some of the energy credits. So from a uh, from the commercial side, solar credits were is a you know big industry, and it was set to start phasing down and expire. So it used to be a thirty percent credit, and then it was twenty six, twenty two, and and phasing out. And so they extend extended it. So now it's thirty percent for the next ten years. So you get a thirty percent credit. But not only that, um, one thing that makes it beneficial, you just have to run the numbers, is even though you take a 30% credit, so that means 30% of the cost, you, you just get to offset your tax liability. So simple, doing simple math, you spend 100000 doing solar for a commercial property, you get a 30% credit. So $30,000, you can wipe out $30,000 against your tax liability. It's not a deduction, it's a credit, which is much better. Yep. Um, but on top of that, even though you take this credit, you could also take depreciation on your on that solar cost. And you can actually depreciate up to 85% of the cost. So if you spent a hundred thousand and you took a credit of 30%, so 30,000, well, you can still depreciate 85,000 of it. And and so that means that basically you're you're almost depreciating more than what you ended up paying because what you what you paid was a hundred thousand minus the thirty thousand in tax credit. So you paid seventy thousand in that case, but you're depreciating eighty five thousand. So in effect, if you're in a higher tax bracket, um, then you could almost pretty you could pretty much offset half your cost of of doing it, and then plus some states will will have some solar credits as well. So that that can be a, a huge cost. I've had some clients um, toying with that. And the EV chargers, if you're in real estate and a lot of um, developers are starting to add those in and take credits. And again, there's also usually local incentives for a lot of that stuff as well. And you can take advantage of both of those. So that that's a huge cost reduction for something that you're, you probably would do anyway, at least on the EV charger side. I want to take a moment to recognize one of our sponsors. My friend Dave Zook says, you can be conventional or you can be wealthy. Pick one. At The Real Asset Investor, Dave and his team bring their investors high-yield investment opportunities across several asset classes for cash flow, tax impact, and equity growth. He and his team are one of the top five ATM operators in the country, and they have an investment opportunity available to accredited investors right now in the ATM space. To learn more about their ATM funds that produce tax-free cash flow, visit therealassetinvestor.com. And then on the residential side, so for your principal residents, they expand a lot of the credits here too. And this one, these are... I think easier 
because you're probably doing a lot of this anyway over time. Um, so you get credits. So for example, they call it the uh, energy efficient home improvement credit. A lot of words, but this used to be the non-business energy property credit. But this was going to expire uh, after 2021. And then they basically re-upped it. They, they kept it going and then they increased the limit. So you can take a credit for 30% of eligible home costs. It used to be 10% for this credit. They increased it quite a bit. And so this includes like energy efficient water heaters, heat pumps, central AC systems, furnaces, hot water boilers, um, things like that. That so like central AC systems. I mean, you might be upgrading your AC anyway if it's older. So as long as you make sure with the with the manufacturer that it meets the energy requirements, which a lot of them probably are, um, then you might you might as well take the credit. I mean, it's free. You're doing it anyway, right? Same with the water heaters and heat pumps and things like that. Um, and so that is limited though to twelve hundred a year. It used to be 500 over your lifetime. So once you hit that 500, you were done. Now you can do it 1,200 a year. So um, one tip on that, if you if you have any that qualifies, maybe don't do everything in one year. If you're going to hit that $1,200 limit, kind of spread it out um, so that you you are you're maxing it out each year to the extent possible. Um, and then uh, of course they've got. Uh, some other credits, um, you know, they have credits for solar energy on personal residents also, and those can be up to 30%. The difference between the residential side on solar and, and business is you don't get depreciation for a personal asset. So there you're just getting a credit. So it's a little different um, from that standpoint. Um, and then lastly, there are also, these are not tax credits, but they're giving high efficiency electric home rebates. So if you buy things that qualify, you can just get a rebate and it's not through your tax return like the other credits I was just talking about. Um, these are actually rebates. So you can get uh, $840 for a stove, cooktop range, oven, um, $1,750 for heat pump water heaters. Um, and then there's, there's some others that you can get for like insulation, electric wiring, you know, things like that. So I would say anytime you're doing an upgrade to your personal residence, or if you're doing something to a rental property, check to see if there's any energy credits there. Cause you, these are things you're, you're going to do anyway. So you might as well take the money that's on the table and help reduce your cost. Yeah, absolutely. And then what's going on. Um, and this is good for business owners to know you had mentioned, um, to me that there's a lot of stuff going on with a secure act 2.0. What are some of the things a business owner should be aware of, about? Yeah, this one. So this, there are some big changes, basically, basically with the secure act 2.0, the government came out and, you know, essentially the underlying message was don't, don't count on us for your retirement. Don't count on social security. Um, if you haven't been saving, you better start now. That was, that's kind of the message that they were sending. So the Secure Act 2.0 um, basically changes some of the rules around 401ks and and things for businesses. So starting starting pretty soon, um, people are going to automatically be enrolled in 401k plans. In the past, employees had to opt in intentionally, so they'd get the option. You know, the employer would say, "Hey, you're eligible. Do you want in or not?" 
And then, um, so now it's switched. And so now they're automatically going to be opted in. They'd have to intentionally opt out. The IRS is trying to force people into these plans and, and they're forcing them to save too, because they're, they're making them automatically enroll at 3%. So um, 3% of your salary is automatically going to go into this 401k plan. And then each year it gets increased. Um, there's exceptions for small employers, things like this. Um, but this is going to affect a lot of, a lot of small and mid-sized businesses. Um, a credit that I think is really cool on the retirement side is there's a, a lot of, a lot of small employers will set up retirement plans for their employees. Um, and now there's a credit that actually basically pays for employers to set up the plans. Um, so this is the credit for small employer pension startup costs. And so the IRS will cover up to a hundred percent of your cost to set up a retirement plan. It's capped at 5,000, but I mean, most plans aren't going to cost that more than that to set up. So 100% of your cost is covered. And then additionally, um, for every dollar that an employer contributes to an employee's um, plan, the IRS will give them up to $1,000 per employee. Basically, they're, the government is helping fund some of these accounts. So in, instead of counting on the Social Security or they're basically giving credits to employers to start funding this. So that can be a good one if you're a small employer and you've got, um, you know, less than 100 employees, then looking into that because it essentially it essentially takes care of your costs and you can give your employees what is to you a uh, ends up being almost a free benefit. Um, so those are the two uh, main things. I mean, there's some other changes, you know, with uh, um with some of the limits um, went up quite a bit. Um, but those are the main ones from a from a business perspective. Gotcha. It's a, it sounds to me that somebody greased a lot of hands in Washington <laughs> on Wall Street <laughs> to get that to get that taken care of. Um, yeah, put a lot of money into it. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So, um, you know, we we've talked about on the show about, I mean, essentially hard times, right? Um, they've changed the definition of a recession. You know, my best definition really is, so um, Doug Casey uh, puts it best. He goes, the recession basically is when the standard of living goes down, let's just say if you're a neighbor. You might still be okay, but your neighbor is out of work and his standard of living has gone down significantly. And the depression is basically when everybody's standard of living goes down significantly, which I think is pretty helpful to kind of then get a finger on the pulse of what's going on. You've mentioned um, that you've got some ideas for folks to share if you're, you know, just from a tax planning perspective when it comes to recessions. Yeah. Yeah, there's a few ideas. And yeah, I, li- I like your definition. It's funny because every every recession is a little different too. And I think what makes this, whether you think we're in one or not, what will probably make this one different is that it's affecting a lot of times it's just it's lower income that gets affected, mostly losing their jobs and they don't have the savings and things. This time around, you know, I think it's going to hit a lot more middle income and basically everyone except for high income. I mean, if you got a billion dollars and you lose half of it, you're still wealthy. But um, middle class is just, um, you know, they've, they've taken a hit uh, generally with inflation hits the middle and the lower class the, the most. So I think 
it's uh it's it's a little different than some of the past ones but anyway from a planning perspective um there's a few ideas uh that sometimes make sense so i just talked about um retirement plans so the first one will kind of keep along those same lines but a lot of people if you've I, I work with a lot of people now that are mostly in real estate but they were employed at some point or they were contributing to retirement plans at some point and of course most real estate investors stop doing that and because they they're always short on capital uh so they don't want it locked away in a retirement account but they may have um iras from their previous life and so traditionally when you have an individual retirement account you're getting a tax deduction for contributing to that account. And so it helps lower your tax liability currently. And then when you retire, then you withdraw those funds and it becomes taxable at that point. So the benefit of doing it is essentially that it grows tax-free for an extended period. So, so you'll pay a lot of tax at the end, but you're in, able to invest more now. Um, that, that was the benefit of it. But um, a Roth is the exact opposite, essentially. You don't get a deduction, so you're paying tax on it now, but the benefit is, although you had less to invest, it's now when you withdraw in retirement, it's tax-free, so you don't have to worry about the tax. Um, so one idea is that if you have lower income in 2023, is that it may be a good time to convert from a traditional IRA to a Roth, because that'll be a taxable event, and it's taxed at whatever your ordinary rate is. So if you're in a if you're making less money, you're in a lower tax bracket. So it may be better to take the tax hit now and then have the ability to grow it tax-free going forward. So that that's the first one. Um, if you have any kind of traditional IRA accounts or things like that, that that may be a good option. Um, and then one that I like to remind people of especially because we've seen housing costs go up so dramatically over the last few years, is a lot of people forget that we have the home home sale exclusion. So this is where you live in your principal residence for at least two out of the last five years. Then you can exclude up to 500,000 for married filing joint or 250,000 if you're a single taxpayer off your income. And so I'm saying exclude, meaning you never pay tax on it. It's not like kick a can down the road. You just don't pay tax on it ever. And so that's a big one. And I've seen people um, not mention that they're gonna sell their house, then come later and say, oh, I sold my house and they'll literally miss this two-year deadline by like two weeks. And they end up coughing up this huge tax bill when they, they didn't have to, they, didn't, they wouldn't have had to pay anything if they were able to delay the closing a couple of weeks, which most of the time is pretty feasible if you're planning far enough in advance. Um, and this is a huge tax savings because this potentially saves you up to like 120,000 um, if you're married filing joint. And if you think about it, if you have to move anyway and you don't wanna, you don't wanna rent out your house or hold on to it, um, and you're changing jobs, changing locations, downs, whatever the reason is, you know, you have to sell your home. Th that tax savings potentially helps offset the increased cost of now that rates are higher and all these other things when you when you buy your new house. So that's a big one that um, you don't wanna miss. Um, it, it can make a big difference and, and timing your move. I wanna recognize one of our sponsors, Penumbra Solutions. 
Life settlement investments have allowed financial and banking institutions to not only buy their equity contractually, but also diversify their capital from any economic, market, and geopolitical risk. It's been part of the billion-dollar blueprint followed by institutional investors. And if you're an accredited investor, you can also now participate in this vehicle with enormous growth potential. You can watch an informational webinar presented by one of the premier organizations providing life settlement investments, Penumbra Solutions, at cashflowninja.com forward slash life settlements. That's cashflowninja.com forward slash life settlements. And then the last one that, that may be a good idea is um, selling lost stocks. So if, you, if you're in the stock market at all, your account probably isn't looking too great coming into 2023. And um, you may not want to hold on to that, but the IRS limits capital losses to $3,000. So if you lose more than 3,000 and you don't have some other kind of capital gain to offset it, you're stuck. You don't even get a benefit. Not only do you do you lose out on on your investment, but then you also lose out on your taxes because you're you're paying as if you made more essentially. So um, one strategy is again with housing prices and things being up. If you had any rental real estate, when you sell rental real estate, it's generally a capital gain. So timing it so that you're not uh, selling real estate and then later in another year generating a capital loss loss on something because then you're going to get limited. So doing it in the same year so that you can use that loss to offset the gain from the sale of real estate or or potentially, or if you're selling a business even, because that a lot of times will be a, a capital gain. So um, thinking about the timing on when you're going to sell stock, a lot of people just think about it at year end, like loss harvesting um, to try and take advantage of losses. But you have to make sure you can actually deduct it. That's that's critical. Yep. Those are great. One thing that I wanted to ask you too is we have listeners and viewers that might have had some crypto on exchanges such as FTX, BlockFi, and everything involved with that uh, the, that disaster. What are some of the updates there? Because this is this has been interesting to to watch how this kind of plays out, and I, I guess it's. It's, it's still playing out. What what are some of the things that you could share from a tax perspective there? Yeah. Well, the first thing I would say is, I'm sorry, that sucks. But you're getting you're basically getting a double hit because not only um, if you're stuck in some of these, um, you know, companies that went down and, and you have no access to probably assets that aren't even there is not only did you potentially lose your investment, but there is no tax relief at this point because from a tax perspective, you can only deduct uh, investments when it becomes worthless, essentially. And and the definition of becoming worthless doesn't exist when, you know, if, if company's still under investigation and there's no finalization of what the result is or the bankruptcy or anything. So there's not certainty that it's completely worthless and you won't get anything out from, from a legal perspective. Yep. Even if it's unlikely, well, you don't have a loss from a tax perspective. So essentially, you don't have access to your funds and you don't get to write it off yet. So basically, you're kind of in a sit and wait situation to see for that to finalize so you can hopefully um, take that loss. But then again, 
also consider this kind of goes back to my last idea is most of the time so it's it's going to be a if it's cryptocurrency or something like that and you had a loss it may be it may end up being a capital loss so um again you may end up getting limited and so think about that as uh as you're as you're kind of trying to plan and maybe holding off on some other investments that hopefully did well and and maybe trying to sell those after you know the outcome and you know that you can take that loss so that it it doesn't now that you can deduct it it doesn't now become limited because then then you're just getting you know getting kicked while you're down a little more yeah absolutely so one of the habits of wealthy and successful people is um they're always studying and learning what are you studying and learning these days oh that's a good question um you know for one i'm trying this is gonna so i'm working on writing a new book here so i've been studying taxes even more so than i would reading a lot more a lot more books and making sure i'm i'm up to stuff so that's been kind of my most recent but i mean other than that some of the most recent things that i've done is um i, I love the book never split the difference um because you know which is basically about negotiating and things like that um because basically you use that in almost everything whether it's at your job and your relationships or or business deals and so so that's been critically important i've been studying books like that and then also just going back to the to the basics on a lot of books um that i liked from the past that had a good had a um you know good material so um i'm always keeping my my eyes out for for what the next next thing to learn is but i'm always open to suggestions awesome um now one question i i ask of all of our first time uh guests is the show we talk a lot about business and investing um but it's more about leaving a legacy and uh, we talk a lot about principles and values too so if you cannot leave money to future generations and we're mm -hmm. only allowed to leave three principles to them uh to build wealth and achieve happiness and success what would they be oh that's a good one um three principles well one I get, and so they're not necessarily in this order. This is just how they're coming to mind. But one, I think relationships are more important than what most people realize, um, both family and professional and everything else from both a business side and just an overall happiness side. I think um, a lot of people, you know, for me even, I mean, I'm not, I still have a lot of maturing to do, but I know that when I was younger, it was a focus on, you know, I, I want to make so much money and I want to get so far in my career and all of this. And, you know, while that maybe still exists as a passion, you still, um, still like you, you almost expand and you start to realize as life goes on that, well, that alone isn't really what, what makes you happy and successful that, uh, that you, the relationships you have on a daily basis, that you have someone to actually, if you are successful, then um, you want someone to share it with. And actually one of my favorite quotes from uh, a movie, uh, I think it was Into the Wild at the end of the movie, uh, the quote was, happiness isn't real unless shared. And so that one really stuck with me. So, so I think um, valuing relationships and definitely not, not burning bridges or anything like that and then 
Um, the second one would probably be one that has been repeated over and over, but um, basically the value of starting young and, and compound interest and all of those things. I mean, generally wealth doesn't happen overnight. We all want this like overnight. Oh, I've, I've done it within a year. I started this big business. I sold it for a billion dollars and I'm retired. But the reality is that doesn't happen very often. Um, that may be some of the stories we hear about, but most of the time, the people that are most wealthy, you know, they, they may be working uh, many years um, before they, you know, some, some of my clients, you know, they've told me stories and it'll be there. They're working 20 years, just, you know, almost 24 seven other than sleeping. And they basically every dollar they make ends up having to be reinvested in something else. And then eventually after all of that, either, either they, they finally have the right idea, the right investment, things start to go in their direction, whatever it is. Or just wake up and realize all that work you did paying off. You just wake up one day and realize, oh, wow, look at all of this that I built. Um, and so I think I think that's really important. And then kind of, I guess, going along with that is enjoying the journey of all of it, which is nothing new either. But a lot of times those are the best stories um, is those times when, you know, things were tough, like. You know, for me, uh, you know, I wouldn't say I've made it at all by any means, but I still looking back when I graduated college and I had very little money and I bought um, my second investment property and it was a duplex and I the roof was in awful condition and it was expensive to redo the roof. And so they charge, right, they charge to take off the layering and then they'll charge by, um, by plywood that they have to replace that's bad. And so to save money, because I, I didn't have very much, I mean, I was basically taking out loans just to cover, I had, I had the property 100% financed. And then, and then I had to figure out how to pay for this $10,000 roof. Um, but I went back after they stripped it and I replaced like half the plywood by myself. And as part of that, I didn't even have a car to transport it. Um, so I actually found someone um, and, and, renting a pickup or something would have been very expensive through whatever it was, U-Haul or whatever. So I ended up finding someone, putting out an ad, finding someone that had a Suburban that was going to be uh, repo. They hadn't made their payments. And I was like, hey, I need it for like a day or two. I'll give you a hundred bucks. And they're like, okay, it's going to get repoed anyway. Just have it back by whatever day because they're going to come get it. So I take it. I'm like loading up plywood every day in it. Meanwhile, the 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 bank and everything's calling them. Where's your suburban? And they're calling me. Hey, I need it back. I'm like, one more day, one more day. I've just got a few more planks of plywood. And so we got them their suburban back. But I mean, those were like the things that had to do just to get things done. And so remembering, um, just remembering to enjoy that. The moment it sometimes feels like it sucks, but you're gonna look back and realize that's actually a lot more fun. Yeah. That's a that's a great great story. This has been a blast having you on. Where can folks follow you? Where can they learn more about you? And where can they reach out to inquire some about some of your services? Yeah, so I I do a lot of education um, and training. So follow me on YouTube, uh, YouTube dot com slash at Eric Freeman CPA. You can follow me on all the. Uh, social media platforms like Instagram and LinkedIn, 
uh, TikTok, Facebook, all those same same handle at Eric Freeman CPA. And then and that's all for education and just tips and tricks. And then if you are looking for consulting or CPA services, um, then you can reach out uh, to me through my firm, uh, Beach Fleischman, uh, and we'll have the, the website available and we can get you more information through there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey and your knowledge and uh, providing so much value for all of my, my listeners and my viewers. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me and had a great time. And thank you to you, the listeners and the viewers for spending your most valuable resource or time once again with me on the show. Everything Cashflow Ninja is at CashflowNinja.com. That's CashflowNinja.com. And if you are a business owner or an investor that's looking to protect and build wealth during turbulent times, I launched Cashflow Nirvana, my mastermind and inner circle. You can sign up for Cashflow Nirvana at CashflowNirvana.com. That's CashflowNirvana.com. Until next time, live infinitely. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation, and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.